Welcome to another episode of Mick Doc. It was Friday night when I first heard him. I was going to go outside and check who it was, but I remembered what my neighbor said. Don't let him get to you. I moved into my new neighborhood in Massachusetts last week. The previous owner died from some sort of disease. The folks in the neighborhood were very welcoming. I made friends fast. The person I know the most is probably my neighbor, Alex. He's a single dad with two kids. Well, it was two kids. His 15-year-old died last year. Alex seemed like a really kind guy, but there was something about him that threw me off. It was Friday evening and we were just talking about stuff while smoking our cigarettes. He looked at his watch and seemed pretty tensed. Shit! What's wrong? I asked him. He looked at me. It's getting late. I should go close the windows and doors to make sure Brendan isn't out. He says. I look at him confused. Why lock the windows and doors? I ask. He looked at me surprised. You don't know? He asked. Know what? I ask. Brandon looks at me with some serious expression on his face. He, he tells me about this urban legend that originated in this town. Back in 1692, a woman accused of being a witch was hanged. Her son took her body and kept it with him, hoping his mother would come back. But the day never came. The boy was found a year later, rotted. His skin had holes all over him with bugs coming out of them. His body was fed to the dogs. Ever since that night, the people in the neighborhood have been hearing the voice of a kid calling out to them. Whenever a person leaves his house to see who's making that noise, they succumb to a painful death. <laughs> I chuckle. Alex looked at me quite angry. You don't believe me? He asks. I look at him, trying not to laugh. Sure, I, I believe you, I say. Look, I'm being serious. Whatever that thing is out there, it's gonna kill you if you go out of your house when you hear it. Just lock your windows and doors, please, he says. <laughs> so, so, so when's this thing coming out? I say, holding my laugh. Uh, I always hear it at 11.32, so do other people here, he says. All right, if this is a prank, fuck you, I say. Alex stands up and looks at me. Don't let him get to you. He walks back towards his house. It was Friday and I was on the bed. I was watching YouTube and that's when I heard a kid saying something outside. I go towards my window and I look outside. I see like a seven-year-old kid walking through the street saying something uh, inaudible. I remember what Alex says and I lock my doors and windows. When I get back to the window, he's already at the end of the street. He turns back. Well, his neck twists around. I wouldn't call myself brave, but I thought it was a joke. I wave to the kid. He sees my wave and waves back with his neck still twisted backwards. And then he laughs. No, he screams a laugh and runs out of sight. I go back to bed, horrified, but I still thought it was a joke. I wake up the next day and Alex checks on me. Alex leaves his kid at some daycare close by and we just spend the whole day together. We don't do much except from talking, but he was the best friend I could ever have. He was talking to me about Brandon and how much of a good son he was. Well, I'm sure if wherever Paul is, he's happy for having you as a dad. I say. He looks at me. I see joy as well as sadness in his eyes. That thing took Paul. I look at Alex. What the fuck? I say. Paul was more of the adventurous sort of kid. He was awake one day and I forgot to lock his window. And that thing, it came inside. He says. I believed Alex, but... I didn't believe in urban legends. I cheered up Alex a bit. When it was seven, we headed home. 
It was 11.32 and I was watching TV. That's when I heard the voice. I ignored it. The voice became louder, then it stops abruptly. I turn off the TV and I walk towards the bed. I open the bedroom door and the window is open. I forgot to lock the windows and, and the doors. I turn around, feeling someone or something watching me. I walk towards the kitchen where I see the silhouette of a boy. I flick the light switch and I see that thing, its smile, stretching from ear to ear, its eyes completely white and its skin with holes all over it, bugs oozing out. I almost vomit, but that thing jumps on me. I have no idea what's going on. I shout for help, but nothing comes out of my mouth. The thing keeps laughing, and when I look at it, all I see is a demon. The bugs from its body began slipping on me. I want to scream, but I can't. I can't even move, and I'm stuck in one place. The thing looks at me, and a two-foot-long tongue comes out of its mouth. It tries to force its tongue down my mouth. I try to shut my mouth, but, but I fail. The thing begins to change. Its arms become longer, and its spine cutting through the skin. I try to hit its head, but when I hit it, bugs fall out of the holes. I feel immeasurable pain from my body, but I couldn't tell where its source was from. The thing still had its tongue in my mouth. The pain from my mouth was so much, I passed out. I woke up today, surrounded in a pool of blood. Pain was still there, but it was more. I take off my clothes and I check my body. I look at my right hand and something moves inside. I take a knife and cut my hand open. I felt so much pain. So much pain. I couldn't feel any more pain. Something black crawls out of my hand. It was a big-ass spider. I puke and blood comes out along with yesterday's dinner. As I type this, my right hand is still bleeding, but not to the extent I would die. My left hand has small circles all over, and the skin is decomposing. My face is slowly growing holes. Sometimes bugs ooze out with a liquid jelly-like substance. My whole body pains. I've tried suicide, but whenever I try, the holes grow, and more and more bugs ooze out. Some of the bugs are eating my right leg. It pains and I need help, but everyone in my neighborhood knows what happened, and they know my faith. I hope you don't make the same mistake as me. Lock your doors and windows and don't let him get you. I shouldn't have been there. My friend was supposed to be alone. Three years have passed since that night, but I'll try to tell you what happened, as far as I know. Earlier that day, my friend's parents had left for a weekend vacation. She was alone in the house. I offered to come over and keep her company. I arrived around 8pm and we spent the night chatting, watching TV in her bedroom. Time passed so quickly that, before we knew it, it was midnight. That's when everything got weird. We began to hear strange noises outside her bedroom. At first we thought it was just the house settling, but then we stopped talking and listened. There were soft footsteps coming up the stairs. Do you think your parents have come back? I asked. She said her parents were not supposed to return until the next evening. Besides, there were too many footsteps for just two people. I ran over to the door, and just before the footsteps reached the hallway, I turned the key in the lock. Suddenly, there was a profound silence. Is anyone out there? My friend asked nervously. We were sure there was someone outside, but who could it be? 
Just then, we heard a beep. We whirled around and stared at my friend's laptop. She had just received an email. She opened it. The sender was unrecognizable, just a random combination of numbers and letters. When we read the message, it sent a chill down our spines. Whatever happens, do not open the door. As soon as I read those words, a sinking feeling came over me. My heart was beating fast, and I felt like I was about to have a panic attack. I didn't know what to think. Maybe it was just someone playing a silly joke on us. Maybe it was someone trying to save our lives. Now we knew there was someone out there, behind the door. Suddenly, we heard a voice. It sounded like my friend's mother. Please, open the door. Your father and I were in a car accident. We are badly hurt. Please open the door and help us. When she heard this, my friend stared at me wide-eyed. I can still remember the expression on her face. She was in shock. Neither of us knew what to do. Please open the door. A male voice pleaded. We need your help. It sounded just like her father. My friend and I just stood there for a few seconds, frozen to the spot. Then, she started walking towards the door. I grabbed her by the arm and held her back. She turned slowly to me and said, It's my parents. They need help. I'm gonna open the door. What about the email? I hissed through gritted teeth. What if it's true? What if they're not your parents? Nonsense, she said. You heard them. Those were the voices of my parents. Before I could do anything, she struggled out of my grasp and walked towards the door. I still didn't know what made me do it. Maybe it was sheer terror. The only thing I could think to do was run to the closet and hide. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was frightened out of my wits. What I heard then, I will never be able to forget. To this day, I have nightmares about it. My friend opened the door, and all I could hear were her screams. They were blood-curdling screams, filled with pain and terror. I couldn't help her. All I could do was cower in the closet, keeping perfectly still praying that I wouldn't be found. I don't know how long I stayed there. Could have been hours. By the time I felt safe enough to come out, it was morning. The bedroom was empty, and the door was open. My friend was nowhere to be found. I ran all the way home and called her parents. When I managed to reach them, they told me they were still on vacation. I told them what happened the night before, and they immediately called the police. They searched for days, but they never found my friend. I doubt they ever will. I don't know what happened that night. I don't know who or what it was that came and took my friend away, but I know they were out there. I also know that I shouldn't have been there that night. I shouldn't know they exist. I know someday they will come for me, but whatever happens, I will not open the door. I'm not old in age, <clears throat> but in my bones and soul, I've lived a life full of dark laughter, pained howls, 
Waking each morning, fighting off the last night <coughs> drunk, I stumble to my washroom to clean last night's vomit off my face. I stare into my own eyes, only to see the pure hatred for myself and what I've become. <coughs> After I wash, I throw myself back into my work, walking to my basement. I can hear the soft breathing of last night's prey. Walking my way to it, a slight smile finds my lips. <laughs> Chained to the floor, she lays there, sleeping a fitful slumber. Rubbing my eyes, I sigh, knowing what I must do. I walk to my camera, turning it on and making sure it... <coughs> making sure it's streaming to the laptop I've set up next to it. Rolling my shoulders, I steady myself. I turn the overhead light on and walk in front of the lens. In a rough voice, I say, Welcome, one and all, to my red room. <laughs> I see some new viewers have showed today. <laughs> I welcome you. Any and all bids are final. <laughs> Please, remember, I have the final say on how it ends. Be sure to enjoy the show. Reading the bids, I see today's most wanted. My least favorite. This meant I'd be front of the camera longer than usual. Walking to the table, I point to each blade laid out. <clears throat> Watch the screen to see who gets the highest bid. <laughs> of course, <clears throat> it's, it's, it was the large butcher knife covered in blood and rust. Sighing, I pick it up and think, why couldn't it be the scalpel? <laughs> and easier that way, but this is what they paid for. I make my way to the girl who's starting to wake. Grabbing her arm, I stand her and face her to the camera. I use my fingers to force a smile on her face. Fully awake, she goes to scream with no luck, for I close my hand around her mouth, shaking my head at her. Small whimper leaves her lips as I let her mouth go. Pulling a chair close, I sit her down, her eyes never leaving me as I walk back to the screen to see what is wanted first. There it was, as always. <laughs> Give her the smile. So that's what I do. I quickly turn to her, and I take the knife, carving her ear to ear making a beautiful smile. <laughs> she screams out in pain. I feel a giggle rise in my throat. <laughs> Going back to the screen, I see that all the bids are on the makeup. A sinister smile flies across my face as I reach for my bag. I start applying the makeup nice and slow. As I dance around, my praise blood splashes on the floor, painting my face all white, then using black to outline my eyes, drawing a large, obscure smile on my face, and then reach down with my finger, rubbing them in her blood to fill the outline smile, completing my look. Turning to the camera, I began to giggle. <laughs> Asking if my crowd was ready for the show to really start. <laughs> Comments and bids began to fill my screen. A form of excitement ran through my body that caused me to shudder. Taking a breath in, I went back to work. I went to carving her up, just like the highest bidder said to. <laughs> Not caring about a word or screams. This one was different. I wanted her to be loud so that all the people around her could hear her and feel her pain. I still gained joy from it, like all the others. But something about her caused me not to care about what might happen. After what felt like hours of mutilating her body, she fell limp to the floor. 
dead. A smile and I turned to the camera, shaking my head, saying how she just couldn't handle all the fun we were having. <laughs> I placed the knife I had in my hand on the table, and I asked if they all want to see one more trick. With the screen lighting up with comments, screaming for more, I let out a chuckle, and with my blood-soaked fingers, I dug them into my eyes, feeling them pop under pressure. I do my best to rip them from my face, laughing all the way. <laughs> Hands falling to my side, I let what was left of my ruined eyes fall to the floor. Reaching out to the table blindly, searching for any knife, I pick up what felt to be the one I carved my friend up with. I turned my head to where I believed the camera to be, and I say, let's just have one more hellish smile as I start to carve my own face. <laughs> I wake up a few weeks later, chained to a hospital bed to unknown voices. I try to speak, but unable to due to the damage I did to my own face, giggling to myself. <laughs> I reach up, tracing the wounds I inflicted to my own face. I hear a voice saying that I was awake, and the room went quiet. Someone found out that my neighbors had called the cops after hearing screams coming from my house. Once they arrived kicking the door, they searched my home finding the girl's dead body in the basement and me lying next to her, covered in not only her blood but mine as well. They told me that they found my laptop still streaming to my bedroom and comments and bids still pouring in. Seeing this, they did what they could to keep the stream up to find those that were part of it. Finding that I was still alive, it didn't take long for them to get me to the hospital to fix me up, to put me on trial for my past deeds. Didn't take long for the court to find me guilty, charging me with multiple abductions and murders sentencing me to death. Hearing this brought me so much joy, <laughs> knowing it wouldn't be by my own hands to cause my death. For now, I wait until it comes, smiling each day it draws closer. <laughs> Twenty-third December, 1923. Dusk had befallen camp at last. Once that came and my fuel had dwindled to nothing, I had no choice but to tread down the steps of the temple ruins into the dark nothingness. That was the unknown. The desert was known for hiding forgotten things, secret civilizations of a time once thought a prehistoric, but known now as the pinnacle of the ancient world. As I guided myself downward, with nothing but my torch and wits to aid me. I could only think to myself, how had this place come to be? For days I traveled, and there was no comfort of the previous civilizations for miles. It just seemed to be here, as if it always was. Was this even a temple? I studied the walls of the staircase. It showed depictions of war and famine, pestilence and sorrow. Depictions of events that would only transpire thousands of years later. 
At last, I stumbled to the base only to be met with a corridor standing at least four feet in height and just wide enough for myself to press on forward. My eyes stung from the barrage of dust and sand and my palms once steady, now racked with nerves and perspiration. Lined on either side of the corridor stood stone sentinels of what I assumed to be a pantheon of old Hellenic deities. Terracotta bowls sat at their feet, filled with what once gifts and offerings of food now lay empty from prior raids or full of bones, teeth, and metallic fragments. I could see the soft illuminating glow of strange foreign foliage at the end of the corridor that encouraged me to continue, but an ever-aching, churning feeling in the pit of my stomach told me this was wrong. Whatever rituals that were performed here were those of pure horrific detail and inhumanity. The claustrophobic corridor opened in a gaping maw of a cavern, some kind of chamber, confirming this was more than a simple place of worship. In the center of the room, laid amongst the scatterings of gold and jewels, was a skeleton. It ran the entire circumference of the cavern twice over, and was donned with amulets strung across each rib bone. Its skull alone was triple my height, and it looked as if it was of a primordial reptilian species. The winding spine and ribcage, once housing an interior I could only imagine as being one of the eldritch horror, was now hollow and void. The bite-sized bones of human sacrifices it had once consumed lay strewn and neglected across the center of the hall. The creature seemed to have died peacefully. Its limp mouth and empty eye sockets rested in contentment. My eyes began to wander until they landed on not one but four broken and rusted shackles. Giant things that I assumed were used to restrain the beast. I almost felt pity for it. How long had it been here? Being tossed gold and people, left alone in this cave for eons. I stood at the threshold to another world within my own. A world of grit and decay and lunacy. I felt a quaking presence in the very core of my being. Slowly, it grew more violent. It wasn't just an internal presence. The gravel at my feet, as I was knocked from balance and sent careening downward into the pit, the belly of the beast. My torch went out, and I was drowned in black as the stones scraped against my skin, etching lacerations and bruises across my arms, leg, and back. I sat as the cave groaned and rumbled all around me, my senses a wreck from the fall. Then it stopped. Just as suddenly as it started, the quaking just went away. Fumbling pathetically in the dark, I gripped my torch with trembling hands, and I turned it back on, and returned my attention to the behemoth that I stood feet away from. I felt as my shoe landed into something cold and wet. I snapped my head down, and was met with an ankle-deep ocean of black liquid covering the base of the cavern. It reeked of death. The cavern trembled once more, only this time with less malice. Then, I saw it. Something moved. A bulging mass writhed within the eye socket. My breath was caught, throat ran dry, and I felt the blood drain from my entire body. Slowly, a milky white ball rolled into view. It turned and rolled to look at me. It looked at me. I felt the abhorrent stare of the thing impale me as the great beast's great green eye turned from the back of its concave skull to greet me. As I stared back, its rusted chains, gaping maw, coiled spine, the bones of those before me and the black shallows they drowned in, I realized this was no temple, not even a place of sacrifice. Nothing about this showed tribute to a deity. This place was a punishment, a death sentence. This place was a home to house the wicked, to house the ungodly creature from a forgotten time. This place 
was my tomb. I used to hate it. Not just hate it. Despise it. I loathe having my clothes soaked and the pitter-pattering of it on the roof drove me crazy. Stepping into mud puddles was an extra annoyance, not to mention ruining what would be an otherwise bright sunny day. However, that all changed one night. I had just gotten off work. Tired from a long shift, I called an Uber to pick me up. I glanced at the sky, seeing how overcast it was hoping my ride would be here before the rain came down. He did technically arrive after it began. Thankfully, though, it was before it really started pouring. How you doing? My driver asked. All right, just a little tired. I feel you. Can you believe this weather? I checked it earlier and it said it was only a 2% chance of rain. Well, I guess it was a big 2%. You can say that again. Anyway, because of it, getting to your neighborhood will take a little longer. That's fine. Let me know when we're close. He gave me a nod and then turned forward. As he drove us out of the parking lot, I pulled up my phone to pass the time. While watching a video, I heard him say something that caught my attention. What the hell? Something wrong? Oh, it's nothing. I thought I saw something cross the street just now. I didn't get a good look at it, though. Nah, it was probably a deer. We get those sometimes around here. I looked back down at the video I was watching. Yeah, well, thing is, uh, maybe it was only my imagination, but I could have sworn it was running upright. Uh, what now? I asked, glancing back at him. It's had to be someone crossing the street then. I'm not too sure of that. Whatever's crossing the street definitely had some antlers or at least some horns. At this point, I considered the possibility that he was messing with me. However, seeing his nervous expression in the rearview mirror made me reconsider this. Either he happened to be a really good actor, crazy, or worst of all, there was really something out there. Although I didn't show it, I began feeling uneasy as well. Uh, just keep driving then. We'll be in my neighborhood soon. He did as told, focusing back on the road, and there was only silence between us for the next couple of minutes. Then I got a feeling of... I'm being watched. I felt like someone's eyes were burrowing into the back of my head. I didn't want to look back. It was as though my neck was being controlled by puppet strings. Standing dead center of the road, with the rain pouring down around it, was... A creature. It didn't exactly have antlers, but it didn't exactly have horns either. It's hard to explain. What I did find clear was that this thing was clearly not meant to be seen by human eyes. What saved my sanity as well as the driver's was the rain. Yes, the very thing that I despised my entire life was now the only thing shielding me from seeing this creature in its entirety. Although the rain obscured most of it, I did see some other features of it. The most striking thing about it was its eyes. It didn't only have two. It had eyes covering its entire body. They were all human-like in appearance, and each one was a different color that glowed with dim light. In them, I only saw the gaze of a hungry predator. Hey, you alright? Drive faster. He didn't reply, but instead pressed harder on the gas. I didn't need him to tell me he knew I had seen it too. The fear in his eyes made that perfectly clear. It wasn't happy with the fact that we were speeding up. I didn't understand what I was seeing at first. Then it registered to me that it was growing taller. Already being tall... It caused it to be a staggering height. Its legs weren't the only things growing. It was only then that I noticed that its front legs weren't really legs at all. They were more akin to the arms of an ape. 
They too grew along with its fingers. Despite how unnerving that was to see, it was only the second most terrifying thing it did. The first was when it let out a screech and gave chase. Jesus almighty age Christ! My driver said, looking into his rearview mirror and seeing what I had. It was impossibly fast, catching up to us with ease. Go faster! What do you think I'm doing? I'm already pushing past 100! We could only hope we'd reach my neighborhood before it could reach us. Unfortunately, things didn't turn out that way. I returned my gaze at the back windshield, found it was no longer on the road. I informed my driver of this. Maybe it gave... Oh, shit! He yelled. It had gotten in front of us. He slammed on his brakes, trying to stop, and presumably about to make a sharp U-turn. It didn't give him the chance. Its arm shot forward, seizing his car by the sides, flipping it with ease. We screamed as we went into the air for a moment and then fell onto the road on its roof, resulting in the window shattering. I remember my teeth chattering on impact. I'm lucky that I didn't end up biting my own tongue off. What wasn't lucky is the fact that the various shards of glass were now sticking into my ribs and chest. That, coupled with the fact that I'd hit my head, was causing me to rapidly lose consciousness. My driver was still conscious as it approached the vehicle. Having gotten closer to us, it had become more visible even through the rain. I thought my mind would break at that moment, but by some miracle, a gust of wind blew some rain into my eyes, blurring them. Through my now limited vision, I met at one of its arms going into my driver's window, grabbing him, then yanking him out, screaming. His other arm stretched towards me, and that's when I finally passed out. I woke up later in the hospital. The doctors told me it was a wonder I was still alive. As it turned out, we were close enough to my neighborhood for what some of my neighbors thought was a car wreck. I'm thankful to them for calling an ambulance and to the paramedics who got me to the hospital. They had to defibrillate me on the way there, and I required a lot of blood as well as bandages plus stitches. Some cops were there to take my statement. I knew that telling them the truth would get me thrown into a straitjacket. Therefore, I instead told them a deer caused my driver's car to be flipped. That's sort of true. They thankfully didn't press me for further questions. It took me many months of physical therapy, but I'm happy to say that I've managed to make a full recovery. I've also got a new job because my previous one let me go for missing too many days. Personally, I think it's better this way. The job I have now is so close I can walk to it. Plus, I don't have to take that godforsaken road anymore. Speaking of which, my experience isn't an isolated incident. Since then, which was over two years ago, a number of accidents and disappearances have occurred along that road. Due to this, the road had been condemned. I'm not sure when it appeared, or if it's always been there. Maybe it's some kind of extra-dimensional being that decided to come into our world. Maybe it's a forest spirit awakened, enraged by humanity encroaching on its territory. So far, I'm the only one who has survived seeing, and I think I know why. The answer is something I try not to think about for the sake of my mental health. I believe the reason it didn't take me was because, technically, I had been dead. That means it only wants live prey to do with... With what, I have no clue. Nor do I wish to ever find out. Sometimes, when it's raining, I'll stare at my window and think about that night. About how it kept me from fully seeing that creature. My best friend told me this story a few days ago. This is from his point of view. Most people wouldn't consider crows as the most comforting birds. Well, they aren't the most elegant of birds anyhow. Also, most people don't like their loud crying either. But to me and my wife, they are our lifesavers and protectors. I wasn't always fond of these birds either. 
But sometimes life finds ways to change your opinion. Me and my wife are both from the same hillside town. People were mainly farmers. They were hardworking and many would say very generous. My high school sweetheart, my wife, and I were both 16 at the time. Farmers in the area decided to cut down a large banyan tree near the town cemetery. They wanted to chase away the crows, which lived in it. Because these crows would often eat the crops and steal eggs. Sometimes they would even raid kitchens. I was very glad of this news when I heard it. I was always irritated by the constant crowing sounds, so to me the fact that people were trying to chase them away was, was a relief. But this was not the case for my girlfriend. They're just hungry, that's all. Sure, they would eat some of the crops. Do they even have to make such a rash decision? This was her reaction to when she heard that the tree was going to be cut down. She's been like that as long as I can remember. She had sympathy and love for all living things, including the crows. Whenever we had time to sneak out behind our parents' back and have a little time alone, she would often bring breadcrumbs with her. She would feed them to the crows and other birds. I never really liked her doing that. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to upset her. But as I recall, many considered the tall banyan tree which spread over the creepy-looking cemetery and the ocean of crows nested as a bad omen. Only two people were objected to cutting it down. One was my girlfriend. The other was an old man who lived near the cemetery. He was furious about them cutting the tree. But nobody listened to him and they decided to go down with it. I still remember that day when they cut it down. They bursted firecrackers to scare the crows away. Then they cut down the large branches one by one. And finally the entire tree. While cutting it down, a large section of the tree fell down and broke the wall guarding the cemetery. People didn't mind it that much, as graves were fine. Without their home, the crows flew away, leaving some broken eggs and nests along with many dead hatchlings. As one of the mob, I was glad that they decided to chase those annoying birds away from our tiny town. As I was leaving, I saw someone untying the old man who protested against cutting the tree down. The mob had tied him up before so he wouldn't cause a scene. I felt bad for him. He shouldn't have had such a harsh treatment. You fools! You doomed us all! He kept mumbling the same words over and again and again, sobbing and laughing maniacally. Over the next few days, I began to feel something was different. The village was getting more and more silent. Birds weren't chirping anymore. Even the wind was getting silent. Something's wrong. I'm feeling scared. My girlfriend began to complain to me. Though I would console her, I couldn't shake the uneasy feeling I had. Two weeks passed. I was going back home after I walked my girlfriend to her house. I began to do it a few days ago since she said she was afraid to walk home alone. My home was just beyond the cemetery. As it was evening and darkness comes early in the hills, I began to walk faster. When I was about to pass the cemetery, suddenly I saw something. The old man was running away from there, bleeding. He had an axe in his left hand. He collapsed at his doorstep. I rushed to his aid. Baba! Baba! What happened to you? Who did this? I asked him. He began to softly moan. Kill me now, boy. Kill me. I thought he was crazy, and I began to rise up to call an ambulance. Then suddenly, he rose up and pulled me down with monstrous strength and roared. Listen to me, boy. I was scared. Listen, they're coming. There's no way to stop them all. He mumbled. I asked him who was coming. To which he replied, The dead. I still didn't have a clue which made him angrier, but he calmed down and asked me to listen. He said, There's something evil lives in this land. This evil. Don't let the dead move on. But instead, 
dead twist their souls with jealousy and resentment towards the living. The, the dead want to prey on the living and make them join their ranks. They're going to come out any minute now. The only thing they feared is gone. I asked what thing? He spoke while blood drooled from his mouth. Them crows. They feared the crows in that tree. You must be wondering why I didn't tell anyone about it. Because they think I'm crazy. I lost count how many times I tried to convince people to leave this town. But none listened. It's as if the evil wants them to stay here. I notice people from this town are always pulled back to here. All laid to rest here. But because of the crows, they stay dormant. Now that we cut the tree down, there's nothing to stop them. I was attacked by one of them. Please, cut off my head now. I don't want to join them. Please. Those were his last words as he succumbed to his wounds. I could clearly see he wasn't lying. His body was getting darker and foul-smelling. When I saw his hand begin to twitch, I took the axe and carried out his last wish. The sun was almost gone. I wanted to save my family. As I was running, I could hear tombstones moving in the cemetery. When I reached home, the door was open. There were no lights. I called for my parents, but none responded. So I somehow went to the hall and flicked the light switch. There I saw my mother, laying dead on the floor. While my father was eating her mangled corpse. I wanted to cry, but bit my tongue and stopped. I slowly backed away from there, as his attention was not on me. I quickly got out of the house. I could hear moans from our neighbors and loud screams. I realized that my girlfriend was in danger, too. I ran through the plantations to get to her house. I could hear more and more people running for their lives. I chopped some dead who ran towards me. I had one mission then, none was stopping me. When I reached her home, the door was locked. Help me! Someone please! Mom! Dad! Don't hurt me! I heard cries. I was relieved to know that she was okay, but she was in grave danger. I broke the door with the axe, and hearing those things who used to be her parents rush outside, I strike them down, hiding beside the door. When I was sure that they wouldn't get up, I began to call her. Anita, come out, it's me. Where are you? I heard the door upstairs open and she ran towards me sobbing. Mom and Dad, they, they, something is wrong with them. They tried to attack me. She was crying. I asked her if she was all right and she said she was fine. I told her that we were going to get out through the back door. I didn't want to see her parents. I decided it was best to get out of town through the main road. Wind was rustling. It was going to rain soon. We slowly moved behind the building and hedges, avoided getting spotted. Suddenly we heard another inhuman roar behind us. They spotted us, and they were hungry. We ran for our lives. I lost my axe while running. While we were crossing the cemetery, suddenly, Anita's face down. Looking back, I saw a legless corpse clutching her ankles. I kicked it off, loosening its grip. She tried to walk, but her ankles were sprained. I had to carry her and run. It had started to rain heavily. We were both drenched and my legs were getting tired. We were almost out of town. Then suddenly, they trapped us in a circle from all sides. With no way to escape, I told her to close her eyes. I prayed for a swift death, though I know it won't be one. As I waited to be killed by the monsters, who were once our family, friends and loved ones, suddenly I heard a crowing sound. I saw a crow was sitting on a tree nearby. Its eyes were glowing like embers. Seeing that crow, they halted at their tracks. Then suddenly lightning struck, lighting up the dark sky. 
I saw a whole army of crows circling us in the sky with fiery red eyes. Suddenly, one of them made a loud sound, and all the others began to do the same. Their cries began to drown out the rain itself. Then all of a sudden, they began to come down, attacking the undead. Some of them began flying around in a circle. I used this chance and began to run. We finally were about to make it downhill. Suddenly I saw a lightning hit the top of the hill. Earth began to shake. Anita said that it's a landslide. Before we could even react, mud and water swept us away. When we woke up, we were both in the hospital. Pretty badly hurt, but alive. The police constable who came to take our statement said the entire town was swept away by the landslide. They couldn't even find any bodies till now. I asked them how did they find us. He said, Rescue teams were searching for dead bodies, then suddenly they saw crows circling in the sky. They thought there must be some dead bodies. They came and found the two of you, unconscious and covered in mud, barely alive. We both decided not to tell what happened to anyone. We were the only survivors in a town full of 300 families. We both knew why they couldn't find any bodies. Because they aren't truly dead anyway. Once we left the hospital, we were separated for a while. She was sent to a girls' orphanage and girls' school run by the government, and I was sent to a care home for boys, since I was still badly limping from the accident. We kept in touch through letters. Once we were both working, we married and had two children. Our old hometown has since been taken over by the forest. Government prohibited resettlement plans there because of the risk of another landslide. But that place still has a grip on us. Sometimes we would both hear something in the back of our mind telling us to go back. Be home. Why wouldn't you visit your family? These voices are often followed by crows, crowing in the yard, to wake us up from this trance, reminding us of the horrors, protecting us from ourselves. Thank you for listening. Have a nice day.